Lord. Oh, wow. Sorry. Oh, it's good to be in the house. It's good that it's not in the negatives today. That's nice. And whoever is praying for snow, you can stop. Amen. Amen. We have enough. Whoever wanted the white Christmas, you got it. Well, today we are going to continue. And this morning we're going to start with our opening verse in the book of Acts, chapter 1. And we'll be focusing on verse 8. And the Holy Scripture says, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Today we're going to talk about being empowered by the Spirit. So we have to realize that us having the Holy Ghost was always the plan. The God that we serve has no turning of thought. He knew from the beginning what He created us for and why He created us. The Holy Ghost was not something that was a last-minute thought. It was something that He wanted to give before He spoke His first word. The fact that we receive power is an indication of the work that we're called to. What God desires to do cannot be accomplished by man. It will be accomplished through man, but not by man. It will not be by man's might. It will not be by man's wisdom. And it most certainly will not be by man's will. It is going to have to be through God and God alone. Now you can take this as large or as small as you want. This church, this congregation, what God is going to want to do can only be done by God. All of you are great people, great intention. You can't do it. What God desires to do in this world, all the congregations put together, we can't do it. What God desires to do with you, you cannot do it. It's just, that's the way it is. His work is so mighty, He said, I have to give you my power or you can't get it done. Only the devil is in the act of vulgarly displaying power. God displays power when it's necessary. We want him to prove himself and do vulgar displays of power simply to show. And God's not in that business. God is in the business of when it is necessary, and as Sister Hackenbrook preached, 
the paralytic, the sins were more important than the legs. Don't be discouraged when physical ailments remain when spiritual issues are being addressed. A newcomer coming to the altar is more important than a paralytic running around this church. Another thing is that you need Jesus to walk this walk. We look at Peter, and we often talk about Peter walking on water. He looked at the Lord. The Lord was on the water, and he said, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. And the Lord said, come. Now we know you can't do that. I don't know how many of you have ever gone dip netting. I have yet to see the dip netter standing on top of the river scooping out fish. If I did, I'd be like, you must be a believer. <laughs> But what is interesting about that is the only way he was ever able to walk is because of the communication that took place between him and the Lord. And before we ever got to the water, we find that the Lord found Simon Peter fishing. And when he did the miracle for Simon, and he made that great haul of fish, the first thing Simon Peter did was fall down on his knees and say, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Man doesn't have the ability to follow God. When God starts to display Himself, it will expose you. Here's Moses. Moses thought, I can lead the people. I'm going to go out there. I'm just going to make it happen. I see a taskmaster beating on the person, smite and kill. In the wilderness I go. Forty years later, here comes the burning bush. I want you, it's time. And now it's nothing but excuses. Why? Because you're no longer in the presence of your will, you're in the presence of His. You're in the presence of glory. And when you're in the presence of glory, it is going to completely and rapidly show you how inadequate you really are. This is true power. It's not belittling you it's to reveal how great of a separation there is. Man often thinks he's mighty until he's in the presence of the mighty one. I don't read of anybody standing up in defiance when it's judgment time. (laughs) 
But the fact that Simon Peter is saying, depart from me, displays man saying, I'm not worthy. I can't walk with you. And yet God said, follow me. I will teach you to be fishers of men. The fact that God said, follow me, when God speaks, He looses command and authority. You couldn't follow me on your own, but now I released it. When you get the Holy Ghost, you now have something that is going to empower you to follow Christ, not only in your own walk, but follow Him into dimensions you haven't even considered. When God says that He is a respecter of no persons, and you read John the Apostle saying, I was in the Spirit, the first thing you should get out of the book of Revelation is that is now open to the church. It was not open to simply him. If he is not a respecter of persons, this dimension is accessible. You can have a face-to-face -face relationship. I believe that. There are those that claim to have had it. I am waiting to have one. But I do believe wholeheartedly that because he is not a respecter of persons, you can enter into that, but you're not going to enter into it unless you walk like John walked. If you want to go where his feet walked, you have better put your feet in where his feet had stepped. And where his feet stepped were those that were... They were ordered by God Himself. When we look at this, we have to realize that God empowers us for many things. One of them, I believe, is to get rid of us. It is not something I can do. My thoughts are the height of me. When I read the Bible, what I think is the height of me. I love to get revelation. I love every time I go through this Bible to see something that I haven't seen before. Because one, it is showing me something about God that I did not realize. And secondly, it is showing me I'm not as smart as I think I am. Because I didn't catch that the previous times. And without fail, no matter how many times I read this Bible, there is something new. Always. You are not as smart as you think you are. It's just a constant reminder. The, the process of this, though, is that I believe one of the things to get a hold of is that I have to die daily. And this is an impossible task without the Spirit empowering me to do so. Man will fight 
his demise. To the point that in drowning circumstances, there is a condition that takes place where people will begin to drown one another and even drown their own kids fighting for air. And the tragedy is they can't help it. But if you survive, you'll have to live with it. I believe this is what we are witnessing in the world. The world is drowning each other because the sin is far above our heads. People are suffocating by the spirits that are loosed in this world and they are fighting to breathe, tearing at one another so that they can get a breath of what they think is righteousness. But me, I know that I am called to die daily. Why am I to die daily? Because the world doesn't need to see me. I have had my 28-year reign doing whatever I wanted to do, interacting with whoever I wanted to interact with, and the greatest mark I can say I left on this world was death. But Jesus says, if you will lose your life for my sake, you will find it. I believe that the empowerment of the Spirit releases things that are necessary into this world. Yes, I know there is a necessary healing. Yes, I know that there are people that are sick that need to be healed. I know that God has promised me in prayer that we will see limbs regrown in the veteran community. I wait for that day. I believe as people be, get delivered from the spirit of deception that is causing them into transgenderism, I believe God will restore them too. But... For some of this to be released, it only takes place at the point of death. We desire the full power of God, but there are things that can only be released after the death at a cross. Resurrection power does not come before you die. So the problem is, as I perceive it, as I have heard, I have been promised, you have been promised, 
This district has been promised. The backsliders are coming home. Amen? But at the cross, it says that when he died, the saints that fell asleep started to come up out of the grave. That's backsliders. They were once us, and the grave was able to swallow them. Death got a hold of them. Not physically, spiritually. And to see that promise requires the Spirit releasing the power of resurrection. But if we want to see the power of resurrection, it only comes if I'm willing to take up my cross and die daily. And the problem that I find is the closer I get to that, the quicker I want God to deliver me from it. And when He does... I am not experiencing resurrection. I am experiencing healing. He is healing me from the trial. He is healing me from what just happened. But healing doesn't raise the dead. Resurrection does. Our ability to say not my will, but thy will. That is what is going to reach them. It is only through the Spirit. They need the breath of life again. They need to be brought into the house and be taught again. They need to know God has not forgotten you. God has not forsaken you. God has not stopped loving you. Come home. But the problem is, is dead people don't hear. That's why Jesus told Lazarus, come forth. Because you need God to say that. You need God to speak to the dead. Which is why it is so necessary every single day that we get up, we get into prayer, and we speak to Him. Because the only thing that's ever going to reach somebody in spiritual death is what He says. To rely upon what I can think and let me tell you this, let me tell you that, that's not going to work. It hasn't worked. We have kicked that horse to death. And we're still beating on it. But God says when I speak, it happens. And then He empowers the church, the body, the people to do something that I find fascinating with Lazarus. He says, go take his binds and loose them. You see, he was wrapped up in his grave clothes. 
They bind you up. So he's just hopping there. This is the, what the church is empowered to do. God is going to be the one that speaks life into them, but the Spirit in us is going to empower us to loose them what has bound them to the grave. Let me get this off of you. If you will just let me embrace you, if you will just let me touch you, God has given us empowerment to take the binds off of you. For he says, whatever is loosed on earth, I'm going to loose it in heaven. No addiction, no manifestation in the mind can stand up to the power of the Spirit. What is interesting about this is I love science. I, I watch it all the time. I, I tell Thomas, sometimes he'll catch me watching science, and I'll hear something. I'll look, and I'll be like, thou preach. Thou preach. I don't, I don't watch history. I watch science. Because God made science. So I know. He's trying to show me something. He's trying to, to help me get a hold of something. And one of the things that God helped me get a hold of is that the way he built the world, there's more to it than what we see. There's more to it than what we touch. The physical is not as much as we think it is. In fact, they say that if you were to take Mount Everest and you were to take the atomic matter, so protons, neutrons, and electrons, we all remember atoms, and you were to condense them so that there's no space, you just slam them together, Mount Everest would fit into a sugar cube. That's how much matter is there. But you cannot lift that cube because it weighs the same as Mount Everest. There's no technology that would ever be able to lift that. Now, if the God of all creation who holds the entire universe with the handbreadth says, I have condensed everything about me into you, are you going to seriously look me in the eye and tell me that hell has the authority and power to move you? No. Absolutely not. And we know that in Newton's law of motion, an object in motion stays in motion. So if I can get that on the move because he said to move, are you telling me that there is a resistance hell can put up that stops that? When force is mass times acceleration and God moves at the speed of light and faster. And I don't even know how big he is. So there's no way to calculate what happens when we lift our hands into the spiritual atmosphere and start shouting hallelujah. You have no idea what just hit hell's beachfront. No idea. 
I believe that this principle is shown and submit yourself therefore to God and resist the devil. Do you see that God now gave you the power to resist? You can say no to the enemy when you're saying yes to him. But it's God then the enemy. There are those that get the Holy Spirit and think, I can do all things because Christ is in me. No, you can do all things through Christ. You're trying to twist it that He's going to do all things through me. That was the beauty of Sister Hackenbrook's message. Is they had a man. The church has been given a promise. You're going to reach this region. They thought it was going to go, it just kind of faded. You're going to reach this country. They thought it was going to go, it just faded. And then all of a sudden they reached a soul. And that man went to that community. And then he went to that country. And all of a sudden their promises came alive. This is why God says, go reach. Because just because he's speaking promise in here doesn't mean he, you are the one he wishes to use to unlock it. Right. He's giving you hope and he's telling you what I'm going to do if you will just go reach people. Some of these people are ordained to fulfill promise. In Acts 1.8, it says, unto the uttermost part of the earth. He was speaking that to his apostles. But that didn't happen until Paul showed up. Peter, you weren't preaching to the Gentiles. You were given the promise, though. We have been given promise. And the pastor said, go invite. You know what you're inviting? You're not only inviting a soul, you are inviting keys to unlock our promises. You are inviting people that are going to open doors that you have heard about for years. And we're looking around, where's God doing? Well, if He hasn't done yet, then we have to realize the person He wants to do it through isn't here yet. And when are they going to do it? When they come up here. When they lift their hands. When that tongue starts to change. And all of a sudden, they're speaking in a language they don't know. Now you've been empowered. Because God, He's not in the business of sharing glory. I don't even believe He shares glory with His bride. He said, you are my bride, but you better never forget, I am God, and I'm God alone. <laughs> well, that's cool. <laughs> I'm just happy to be a part of it. But the empowerment, to me, I find to be amazing because another physical principle that we can find is in the principle of elasticity. Now, I know it's a lot this morning, so just follow me. I'll break it down marine style. If I take a ball and I hold it up, 
Physics dictates if I release the ball and add no outside interference, no added force, and I drop it and it is perfectly elastic, it will bounce back to the height that I dropped it from. Now, why is this important? Because if you fall and you were to raise yourself up, the only place you could ever help, hope to achieve is where you fell from. That's it. But they have determined what they call super balls is that if you put an object that is able to store energy inside of the ball that releases that energy upon impact, the height it achieves is so much greater than you ever drop it from. So why is this important? Because when God gives you the Holy Spirit and the enemy is trying to push you down, and he's trying to drag you down, you need to understand that the harder I hit my knees, the higher up I'm going to go because inside of me is something with so much potential energy that when it meets the rock that I have built my house upon, it recognizes and it triggers the release. He says, if you humble yourself, I will exalt you. I will lift you up. I will propel you into heights that the enemy never would have tried to drag you down if he knew where I was going to take you. That's one of the things about us being empowered. Is that it gives us access to places we cannot go without him. Look around you. This is the height of man. I'm not disrespecting. In man, you can find a building, you can find pews, you can find a pulpit, and you can find people attending. But what is special about what happens here is what man's not doing. What's special is what the Spirit is doing. Because when we gather together, there is an empowerment of the Spirit that happens when we lift our worship and our praise. It allows us to be healed because of one another. It allows us to be encouraged because of one another. One of the things about the Lord that has always fascinated me is that God was whipped with cat and nine tails. Now I've always looked at this. The reason they called them that is because the wounds mimicked the wounds of a large cat. They looked like lion claw marks. So here's God that says, if you will just come to me, I will take you under my wing. And then he tells you, there is a roaring lion that is seeking you. And you know that God took you in, covered you, and the lion tore at his back because he wanted you. 
And church, when he did this, it released healing that hell never predicted. It released a restoration of anointing. When God says, I desire to change you, I would argue that he's not so much trying to change you as he is trying to restore you back to what you were meant to be. We have just gotten so accustomed to being this that the process hurts and we don't even know what you're bringing us to because it is so foreign what he originally created. We just know fallen. But why is this important? Because with the Spirit in me, when a person is put on my heart, when a person is put on your heart and God calls you to intercession, you ever notice? I notice people in intercession almost always get into the same position. Knees and elbows and face. Why is it that position? I would argue because the Spirit is putting you in the same covering position. That person on your heart is being covered. And the enemy, if he is foolish enough at this time to start attacking you while you're engaged in prayer, it is going to release healing that is mixed in with the prayer. Because he desires to empower while we were praying here with Sister Hackenbrook, the tongues were going. And the Lord just told me, He said, Hey, I don't need your words. I just need you. If you'll just pray, I'll take care of what needs to be prayed. That way you don't get a big head and think it was your great words that did it. Because I was sitting there praying for someone. And the Lord said, do you, you don't even know what you're praying right now. <laughs> like, I don't. <laughs> He's like, you could be praying for this nation right now and you wouldn't know it. I'm like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't because I don't know a second language. So I certainly don't know any that I speak in tongue. If you know, please tell me. I would love to hear. But do we also realize... That God said your tongue is an unruly member. No man can tame it. And isn't it fascinating that that's the first sign? Is it not fascinating that the first sign God empowers is letting you know I tamed something you can't? It's praised me more pure than it's ever praised me before. And you don't even know what it's saying which only testifies to how far we've fallen. That such pure prayer can be coming out, and I don't even know what it is. That's wild to me. But what's wild to me more than that is that God knows what needs to be prayed, and He's using each and every one of us to pray it. It's going forth, doing as He said it would do, and we just get to call it a Thursday. That's special. To be empowered by the Spirit that can change the world. When I look at this, I realize that God 
can change the nature of things. That when I look and it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because thou art with me. And it occurred to me that in Psalm 91.4, he says, I will cover thee, he will cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings thou shalt trust. But Psalm 57.1 says, Yea, in the shadow of thy wings. And it occurred to me that sometimes my walk will take me into a valley. But I get to choose whose shadow I walk under while I'm in the valley. Because he empowered me that way. And this is what's so beautiful about it. Is that if I choose to be in his shadow. The enemy has to step into that shadow to try and get to me. And if man is afraid of death's shadow, you haven't seen a devil when he looks at the shadow of his covering. This is what is so amazing about our God. Is he says, yes, we have to go there. Yes, we have to go through this. But there's a shadow in the shadow. There's a nature within it that is only given by me. And I've given you the power to enter into it. Every day I can enter into prayer. And I, I do. But admittedly, there are some days I don't go nearly as deep as I should. And I can say, oh, I prayed. And I did but not at the level I need to. Because when I get into His presence, there are places of rest and comfort so great that all of a sudden, it doesn't matter that I'm in the valley. I can find rest in the valley. I can find hope in the valley. And that's what God, he told me one night about in the valley of Achor, you will find the door of hope. And I said, oh, well, so that doesn't sound too pleasant. <laughs> valley of trouble is what it translates to. And then the Lord rebuked me. He said, Mitchell. You want hope, but you don't want to go through the valley to get it. And he said, and when you don't want to go through the valley to get it, you're trying to tell me where I should put my door. But it is written. He said, I won't change the door. I will empower your steps. And church, that's what we got today none of us should be here if the enemy had his way this would be empty the graves would be full but it's not it's not because we have a god that has empowered his church to speak life 
to be fruitful, to give hope to a world that has lost it. And church, I leave you with this. One of the most powerful lessons I learned from John 8 when we talk about the adulterous woman, there's so many things you can preach on. I think it is necessary to look at verse 11 when he asked where the accusers are and she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. The final accuser was kneeling before him. All the men laid down their stones and left. She was still there. Often the last one to lay down their accusation against you is you. And only then, only then, in his presence, was she able to say no one. No one is accusing me. And God said, neither do I. But then he says, go and sin no more. Now this sounds like an impossible command. However, because God said it, he has now set a path and empowered her steps to resist what she's always been entrapped by. The moment you get up, you can walk in a method and a manner that you never have before because I said it. This is what we have that is so precious. You sit here with people, I can't stop, I know. But he can. I can't help it, I know. But he can. Church, as this world gets darker, let us rejoice. Because the world has stopped being merciful. The world has stopped pretending to be forgiving. The world has stopped pretending to have compassion, which makes what we have, the authentic grace of God, that much more precious because nobody's even trying to pose a forgery anymore. If you want to be set free, come. The, the Spirit can empower you to do it. Amen? All right, here we go in just a little bit. We are going to lift our hands. We are going to praise the Lord. But before that, greet one another. Amen.